We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good Shabbos. Okay, picture the scene. This is the scene, okay? We are part of the 600,000 oversouls standing around, standing around the Sinai mountain. We are all standing around the mountain. We have waited three days. We have not touched the mountain. We have not touched each other for three days. And all of a sudden, it says in the Torah, the Har Sinai Ashan Kulo. And the whole Har Sinai, the Sinai is enveloped in smoke. Ashan is smoke. But it's actually not a, a noun smoke. It's smoking. The mountain is smoking. And what's happening is that the mountain is enveloped in this smoke. And there are molecules in each person that are reorienting themselves from solids, liquids, gases. We are becoming something else. And that smoke in the mountain is embedding in our spirits a different type of smoke. And the Sefer Yetzirah says that this smoke, Ashan, can be divided into three words. That Ayin could be Olam, the Shin is Shana, and the Nun is Nefesh. What you mean it's an acrostic? It's an acrostic. Could you say that in here? Acrostic? That's an acrostic. I always get confused between acrostic and acronym. And I know you can explain to me afterwards, and I will forget. But it's... It's one of those things. Wait, are you saying it's an acronym? No, I'm saying it's an acrostic. Okay. I'm, I'm following your lead today. <laughs> we teach the adult bar mitzvah class together. And I'm learning her hand gestures. Wait, not bar mitzvah, be, be mitzvah. Be mitzvah. Okay, I'm making... Okay. Olam is... <laughs> Olam... Olam is connected to the world of space, Shana is time, and Nefesh is soul. And our Parsha, this Parsha of Emor, speaks, the word of Emor itself is the word speak, speaks to these three qualities of space, time, and soul, but in reverse. Okay, so first we begin with Kohanim, the soul of these... What are Kohanim? The soul of the priests, the soul of the priests. And these priests are the ones who officiate all the activities and sacrifices in the temple, and it talks about their soul and what, where their soul needs to be to do these kind of, this kind of service. Then it comes to Shana, which is the year, the time cycle, the calendar, synchronizing the service with all of us coming to this place on different times of the year based on different harvest cycles and it's really this like cylindrical calendrical experience and then there is um i'm doing it in reverse so i have to back to space i love this because diane always says always does this when we go to space space do i do that like diane thank you nice I'm beautifying the space. (laughs) 
He literally came the, on Mother's Day. He said to me, "Mama, you're so pretty," Aww. and now I'm even prettier. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And so, and this space, in this parsha, at the end of the parsha, we 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 are, we are experiencing the menorah and the ner tamid, and the light, the everlasting light that's in the sanctuary space, and we also experience the showbreads that's that 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 are in the temple, and it's a and 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 this is what our parsha does. Um, after the fall of the temple, two things happened: is that the temple itself became our home. And Kohanim are also called Eved Hashem, right? They're servants of God. And we become Kohanim. We become the priests. This is what happens after the temple is destroyed. We are the priests and our home is the temple. And now, um, we are now going to sort of, not sort of, we are going to introduce the idea that we had three beautiful souls that walked through our doors for the adult bring mitzvah to have their celebration today. And? And these three beautiful souls went through a four-step process. And that four-step process can be found in your little be mitzvah booklet today, if you'd like to open it. It's, the, it's represented in the fourfold song by Abraham Isaac Cook, who was a mystic and the first chief rabbi of Israel. So each person in our class, three of whom will have their b'mitzvah today, or the b'mitzvah celebrated today, walked in as an individual, singing their own song, and then they learned how to sing the song of their people. So they walked in as individuals with a history, with baggage, with treasures, with gifts, singing their own song, as Rabbi Cook says, or Rav Cook says, there's a person who sings the song of her soul. We added the feminine, which you can imagine. She finds everything, his, her complete spiritual satisfaction within her soul. But the truth is these three were not satisfied just with their own worlds and just with their own souls. They came to learn the song of their people. So they became this person. There is a person who sings the song of the nation. And how did they do that? Every week on Tuesday night, starting in, I think, mid-October, we sat down and studied Torah together. We learned what it meant to interpret the Torah. And then they learned how to sing the Torah. And through learning the Torah, they took another step. The third step as it says in the third paragraph, there's a person whose soul is so broad that it expands beyond the border of Israel. Can you imagine that? It sings the song of humanity. So through the portal of the unique, specific Torah of our people, through the master narrative of our people, each of us stepped through that portal and touched all of humanity. We're going to go to the fourth step, but not yet, because now I want to talk, or actually Basia will talk, a little bit about what it means to really embody the song of our people and how we learned in this class. So we took the individual and we taught them the song of our people, which is really the Torah. Um, we saw, we took, uh, okay. 
Amor speak, but you know, it's interesting because Amor speak, but Moshe is ironically the person who could not speak. He was, you know, Ariel Svatayim. So I'm just, I was just demonstrating Ariel Svatayim. <laughs> just FYI. Ariel Svatayim means a foreskin's lips. So that was what it was like. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> basically, if you look at the first few words of our Torah, look inside your, 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 your humash. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sadia. At the beginning, what, okay, page what page are we on? So we also learned, we also learned, me and Diane also learned how to in, interrupt each other. <laughs> Diane and I. Diane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rabbi Diane and Rabbi I. Rabbi okay. <laughs> Burn. Okay. <laughs> if you look at the first few words of the page... By the bear. What page? Page 724. Where it says, and big. It says 23 in large. By the bear, Adonai El Moshe Lemor. You'll notice these little symbols on the bottom, right? There's a mercha, a tipcha, mercha, sof pasuk. So there are vowels, but now she's talking about the symbols, not the dots. The Rav of the third, third century said, whoever reads the Torah without a melody and studies the Mishnah without a song, to him it may be applied the verse, I gave them laws that were not good and rules they couldn't live by. Meaning, it's all null and void without the song of the Torah. And now our students will show you an ancient interpretation of something called Quranami. That's the physical hand gestures that would guide the readers towards the right melodies before the tropes were codified. We found a different, that was like the more Syrian version, and we couldn't find those specifically, so we created an embodied version since we don't really know that particular tradition exactly. And this helped the students remember the tropes even more and show them how to more fully enter the song of the Torah. We've got the collective, we've got the song of our people, we have all of humanity, we've got the song, we've got the dance, mm -hmm. and then, Rob Cook said, there's a person who rises even higher, I'm sorry, there's a person who rises with all these songs together in one ensemble, so that they all give forth their voices, they all sing their songs sweetly. So in other words, the, the last step, the fourth step, is integration between all these different um, strands and between the individual, the collective, and all of humanity. And I want to end with one more practice that I think we engaged in, but we didn't really name until the last class, maybe, or our rehearsal. And that's the Hineni practice.
Now, I learned that this was the name of this practice from a friend of mine, Lisa Gersten, who works for an organization called Moving Traditions that helps empower teenage girls. So what is the Hineni practice? Hineni means I am here, I am ready. It means I am taking my space, I'm taking my time, and I give you my soul. So today, each one of our B-mitzvah is going to be engaging in that Hineni <laughs> practice. <laughs> now we call up our very first. You were doing that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm doing that? Yeah. No, no, you're doing that. Tamod. Reina Bat Aliza Umordechai is going to come up and give us a Dvar Torah. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. This verse that I'm about to read in the Torah today includes instructions on how to commemorate a holiday and about sacrifice by fire. Reflecting on what sacrifice means sent me on a journey. About 22 years ago, I went for a yearly mammogram, and when the doctor came in to speak to me about not having clear results and about needing a biopsy, I remembered nodding my head but not really being able to focus on what she was saying. She left the room, and that's when, and I'll never forget that feeling, a fervent prayer seemed to bubble up within me. I said, God, if I get through this, I will return to being kosher. <laughs> now, I, I'm telling you, I don't know where it came from. I mean, at that moment when I felt like my life was going through a seismic shift, and maybe some of you have had those fraught moments when you're hearing news and you're waiting and waiting for results. Everything mundane seems to fall away. So back to sacrifice. How did this word trigger this memory and that promise? I learned that sacrifice in biblical times during the first and second Temple errors in Jerusalem was performed on special days with unblemished animal offerings. However, when the temple was destroyed, the Israelites could no longer bring these animals on those special days. Which brings us to modern times. Today, we may not offer sacrifices, but we do offer prayers from our lips, which we hope God considers, accepts, and favors. Uh, the last line in my portion, and you shall bring an offering by fire, lehikravtem ishe ladonai. In Hebrew, the word lehikravtem in the last line of my Torah reading translates to sacrifice, yet the root of the word lehikravtem is lekorban, which means to come near. To come near and to get close. And that fervent prayer in the doctor's office that seemingly came out of me allowed me to come near to God and my family. Becoming kosher meant that now I could have my family to my home. 
for special occasions that included Jewish holidays. Well, I kept the promise. And while I might not keep Shabbat in a formal, consistent way, and I might not make it to shul on a weekly basis, I think of what it brought me. It brought me closer to family. So perhaps the first and second temple represent in space um, what our holidays and festivals represent in time. Time we spend with people we love. I would like to thank my teachers, Hazan Basia, Rabbi Diane, my TAs, Kalila, and Alyssa, my tutor, Wendy, and my family, Gary, Liana, and my daughter, Alice, who's not with us, she's in New Orleans, and my friends for supporting me on this journey. Shabbat Shalom.